Well, we're continuing in our series from the book of Jonah, looking at the mystery of God's mercy. Uh, it's a great book, and uh, it's, I'm stoked that we can get into it together. Now, I wonder if you could kind of cast your mind back to sort of late January this year. We just recovered from the fires, then the floods, and of course, Harry and Megan leaving the royal family. Um, <laughs> This was before we'd even heard of Corona. Not the, I'm talking about the virus, not the beer. And, <laughs> and just think about it. You know, if, if somebody had described what was going to happen, you'd be thinking, it's unbelievable. It's like something out of a movie. But now, each one of us has had first-hand experience, haven't we? Of, of what it's like to have news like this impact our world, our very nation, and our lives as well. We've all felt the ripples in lots of different ways. I mean, let's face it, who would have thought that toilet paper would be such a big thing? Uh, I've never seen that in a a post-apocalyptic movie or anything like that. Uh, This is way beyond what we would have expected the impact has had. The great thing is that God's word, it speaks into times just like this, these uncertain times. And just as we have now experienced what it's like to have that impact in our world, well, this passage that we're reading today shows us the radical impact of the relentless mercy of God. The relentless mercy of God, despite our rebellion against him. That's a wonderful thing. It changes our world and it changes our lives. And so let's pray together now. Lord God, you are rich in mercy. And because of your great love for us, you can make us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in our sins. And so today we pray, teach our hearts and our minds that it is by your mercy alone that we are saved. And help us to understand more deeply than ever before the mystery of your mercy. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Well, Jonah is so much more than a Sunday school story about a guy and a big fish. Uh, We saw that right at the beginning of chapter 1. There is God and he says, I have seen Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria, and they're the superpower of the day, right? And what God is saying is, I don't just focus on my people Israel, I'm a God of the world. I not only see it, but I control it. And so he says, all right, Jonah, head off to Nineveh, because I've got a message to give them, warning them of a coming judgment. Jonah, though, runs away. This is what we see in chapters 1 and 2. Jonah runs away from God and he even runs away from God's mercy as we saw last week because he doesn't want to share God's mercy with the Ninevites. He hates them. He doesn't want any part of it. He he would rather go the other way completely. But it's even deeper than that. It's in his heart that actually he wants a different God. He wants the God of his own making who is like him. In fact, a God who is only for him. And the thing about Jonah is, God is using him and his work in him to show Israel 
They're exactly like Jonah. Jonah's this mirror to the souls of Israel at the time and our own souls. We're, we're meant to look at Jonah and go, how am I like him? Well, chapter 3 begins with God giving Jonah a second chance. Even there is his mercy again to Jonah. A chance to proclaim his message. The message of the the relentless mercy of God. And we're going to see that uh, in a couple of ways today. Firstly, and and this is going to take most of our time, we're going to look at Nineveh's need. And then we'll be blown away by God's mercy. And finally, our response will be Christian compassion. So firstly, let's have a look at Nineveh's need. They needed God's warning. Uh, Let's look at verse 4 together. Jonah's arrived, and on the first day Jonah started in the city, he proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Just eight words. That's a pretty short sermon. I've already exceeded that word limit by far. (laughs) You've got 40 days, he says, until you will be overthrown. It's imagine uh, like a board game all set up with its pieces and and, uh, just getting it turned over and everything goes everywhere. That's what this judgment will be. Their whole lives, their society, everything will be overturned. But even here, with this warning, 40 days, this is mercy, God's mercy. He doesn't just drop the hammer. He gives them this warning. But we might be asking, well, hang on, why do they deserve such uh, judgment by God? Well, again, if we go back to chapter 1, we see there in verse 2, God says, I have seen Nineveh's wickedness. Even in chapter 3, the, the, their own king confesses uh, in verse 8 that they are an evil and violent people among themselves. But as we've already heard in chapter 1, They are a brutal people with the other nations and Israel, God's own people, have experienced that firsthand. There's stories by the Israelites of when the Assyrians would come and attack them that in defeat they would bury Israelites with just their heads exposed and then they would ride around over the top of them like it was some game. They deserve God's judgment. But even just hearing that can make us feel a bit uncomfortable, can't it? God's judgment. The thing is, we actually, we want justice at times. We we crave it and we celebrate when we see it. Recently, uh, someone at church shared with me this, this story from the newspaper about in America, a guy robbed a store. He stole some laptops. And on his way out, he pulled out his knife and he knocked down one of the storekeepers and then he rushed out the door only to run into a group of US Marines. And he's completely flipped out and he stabbed one of them in the back. Well, then it gets interesting. And this is the police report that I quite love. The police writes, The suspect was transported to hospital with two broken arms a broken ankle, a broken nose, a broken jaw, along with several teeth missing, possible broken ribs, all sustained when he fell off the gutter after stabbing the Marine. 
And I've got to tell you, I was just sitting there reading this going, yes, this is awesome. I was stoked in the justice that they had handed out. And then I felt guilty about how much I enjoyed it. We want justice, mostly when it's directed at other people. Well, Nineveh deserved judgment. It was just their punishment. But because of God's relentless mercy, they get this warning. God has dragged Jonah there to make sure they hear it. So how will they respond? Well, as we look at their response, it's so helpful for us to understand how we too can and need to respond to God's mercy. Well, what we see is that the Ninevites recognize their need of mercy. Look at verse 5. It says, they believed God. Just three powerful words. This is huge. They believed God. This, this actually has to be much more than just they believed in a coming judgment. It's bigger than that. You see, Jonah himself was actually a message. When he went there, he would have told them about how, oh, look, guys, you know, I, I ran away from God just like you. And I was so stubborn of my heart and I didn't want to do it his way that I would rather have died than actually go his way. And so I was thrown into the river, uh, the ocean in the midst of a storm. But God saved me with a giant fish. Uh, what an incredible rescue. And then after being in the belly of that fish for three days, kind of like being buried, I was vomited out and, and I was alive back from the dead. That's the mercy of God. It's that message that they believed in this God. And so what do they do? Verse 5, they declared a fast. They didn't eat. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth, which, which means they, they wore just rags. It's all to reflect their heart, their grief and their guilt, their shame and their submission before this, this God. Even the king we see sees that God is much more powerful than him and he rules over even him and his nation. Have a look at verse 6. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. That's radical, isn't it? And the animals, they get in on the action too because uh, they're not eating and they're covered in this dust and sackcloth. It's a way of showing that every part of their life was affected or, or infected by sin. Nothing isn't touched by it. And nothing doesn't come under God's rule. But this is not just a religious thing that they've done. This is real life change. The king calls for this in verse 8. He says to the people, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. You see, a, a nation that's built on violence to others will end up turning that evil and wickedness on itself and he knows it. He sees it. 
it's part of, I think, what grieves us when we hear the stories like, like a man recently stabbed in a car park with a screwdriver over an argument about toilet paper. That's like our society, like theirs. We desperately need God's mercy, don't we? What's really significant here is that the king sees that even as they do all these things, it's not, it's not a right that God would actually be merciful. Look at verse 9. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. He sees it so clearly. God doesn't have to be merciful. But hey, he is a compassionate God. And so we may not perish, though he has the power to do that. God is actually showing through the Ninevites in this radical response, the right response to him. He's showing Israel and he's showing us that anyone, anywhere can be saved by his mercy. But this is not just a story for a nation back in history. This is about real people. There was real people in Nineveh. It's personal for every single one of us. I think this is what Jesus was getting at when he told the story of a son who went to his father, who was a wealthy farmer. And he said to him, Dad, I can't wait till you're dead. Give me my share of the inheritance now. And when he got it, he headed off and he went as far as he possibly could away. And there he just blew it all on parties. And when it was gone and all the friends were gone, he ends up starving and sitting in pig poo. And it's at that point when he clearly doesn't do, deserve anything, he can't do anything about it. He says, you know what, even the servants back at my father's house are better off than this. Maybe, maybe my dad could make me a servant. That's, that's his best hope and he knows he doesn't even deserve that. Well, it's just like Nineveh. All these people, they see their need and they repented. Like the son, they turned back to, who turned back to his father, they're turning to God. The story of Nineveh is a story that all of us need to live out. All of us have turned our backs on God and all of us need to turn back to him at some point to receive his mercy. Uh, the great thing is in Jesus' story, uh, when the son is returning, the father, he, he doesn't send him away or kick him or anything. What does he do? He's actually, we're told, he's been watching for his son to return. And the moment he sees him, he runs out to him, he throws his arms around him, he kisses him. He said to the servant, bring in the robe, get the ring, restore him into the family. Let's throw a party because my son, it was like he was dead, but now he's alive again. See the message of both of these stories, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, 
you can receive God's mercy. Let's have a look at that now. Verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. God saw. Now, God is not fooled by just some outward display as if they're, they're trying to just look the part. No, he sees it. And he actually knows in their heart they have turned. They've turned from their old ways to him. It's so important that we see here that they didn't earn this. That's not what's going on here. Compassion and mercy cannot be earned. You see, mercy is when you don't receive the punishment you deserve. You can't pay that off. That's a gift that someone gives to you. And what we see here is God loving the unloving It's not that they had been loving God and so, oh, okay, God wants to do this for them. It's not even that they were a lovely group of people. God loves them as unlovely people. That's the relentless mercy of God. Robert Hodge is an Australian guy who was born in 1972 and he was born with a tumour the size of a tennis ball on his face. I don't know if you'll be able to, how well you'll be able to see that photo. But it ain't good. He's an ugly baby, like in the extreme. So much so that when his father described to his mother what he looked like, she wouldn't see him and she refused to take him home. Thankfully, As she got over that shock, she began to visit him. And after a while, she took him home and he was deeply loved. But that story, I think, shows us just how hard it is, even even for a mother to love something that is truly ugly. God. God looked at Nineveh and he sees all their ugliness their wickedness, their violence, their sin. And yet he still loved them and was merciful to them. God looks at us, every single one of us, and he sees the ugliness of our sin. He really does. But he loves us and wants to have mercy to us. In fact, We see his loving mercy in Jesus when he sent his son. And there, Jesus on that cross, the son of God, took our punishment. The the anger at our rebellion and rejection that, that is rightly ours. God turned that fierce anger from us onto Jesus. God took that punishment into himself. That's why at the cross we see God's love, but also God's justice. Judgment is served on Jesus, but in love, he does that so that we, we can know his mercy. Now, maybe today you've come to realize that you know you need God's mercy, his relentless mercy. So I want to encourage you, 
like Nineveh, turn to God. Put your trust in Jesus as your saviour and king. And if that's something that you're really ready to do, talk to him about it. Pray. And please let us know so we can encourage you and support you. But this passage is also a call by God for Christian compassion. Those who are followers of Jesus, those of us who have experienced God's relentless mercy, who know that anyone, anywhere, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, he has had mercy on you. Well, that is what we need to share. It's Christian compassion like Christ. In fact, the whole Bible from beginning to end is God's story of relentless mercy to the world. That's what it's always about, sharing it with the nations. Israel was to share it and to show it. But sadly, they wouldn't, just like Jonah. They're happy to receive it, but not share it. And God is challenging us to make sure that we are not like that. That we let Christ's compassion and mercy to us flow out of us to one another and to this world. You know, the times we're living in, these are times when people really need to hear about God's relentless mercy, aren't they? What an encouragement for us today. God is showing us that nothing and no one is beyond his reach. The coronavirus cannot stop God's relentless mercy and it doesn't stop us. It won't stop us from sharing it. Well, the best place for us to do to start is with prayer. And may be that we need to say sorry for not sharing Jesus with others. But we especially can be asking God to use us to share his relentless mercy through Jesus. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your relentless mercy towards us in Jesus Christ. I pray that you would help each of us to see our need of it and to turn to you and use us to bring comfort and hope in these difficult times as we share your relentless mercy in Jesus Christ. Amen.